0: Today I want to talk to you about mistakes. Because it's one of few things that every single person throughout experience can relate to. Whether they want to admit it to themselves and others or not. Mistakes are simply part of being alive. Alexander Pope's oft-quoted proverb, to err is human, pops up every now and again just to remind us, yes, you made a mistake. But guess what? So has everyone else. To that end, I want to apologize for a mistake I made, right here on this show. In episode 2, regarding the origins of birthday traditions, I said Artemis was the goddess of the moon. That was a mistake. Artemis is not the goddess of the moon. That honor belongs to Selene. However, the moon was in fact a symbol of feminine beauty that the Greeks often used to describe Artemis the moon-shaped cakes that they made to offer up prayers to Artemis likewise remains accurate. Mistakes happen, in every shape and every size imaginable. My slip-up in referring to one goddess as another likely won't lead to any great inventions or catastrophes. But every so often, for good or ill, a mistake comes along that shapes the entire world. It's interesting to look back on history, and think that, but for one or two mishaps, our lives might appear very, very different. An anonymous person once said, making mistakes is better than faking perfection. I'm Aidan Maine. welcome to Haunting Historia. In 1996, two PhD students on the campus of Stanford University worked away on something they thought would be revolutionary. The Internet was in its infancy then, and finding websites often felt like the Wild West. But these two, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, would soon change that. Their solution transformed not only how we search for things online, but even our actual vocabulary. Together with fellow Stanford student Scott Hassan, they coded an algorithm called PageRank, which determined a website's relevance to the search based on the number of its pages and their importance to the original site. Within just a few years, on September 4th, 1998, they incorporated their company into an official business. They received investments from all over, raising enough money to move the company from a garage to a shop in Menlo Park, California, and then to Palo Alto in 1999. It was that year that company founders Page and Bryn approached the then-Excite CEO, George Bell, about selling the company. They made quite the name for themselves in the three years since their initial idea, and so they offered to sell their company for a cool $1 million dollars, Bell, however, rejected the offer. One of Excite's venture capitalists, Vinod Khosla, saw the benefit of what Page and Bryn were trying to sell. He talked to them, and eventually they agreed to bring the price of their offer down to $750,000. Yet again, the CEO said no. Fortune magazine claims that this rejected offer may be the best bargain in tech history that got passed on, and it's no wonder why, because Page and Bryn would keep their independence, and Google would go on to become a conglomerate worth $498 billion. But Larry Page and Sergey Bryn nearly made their own catastrophic mistake. The search engine they created, which we now use as a verb, was originally called backrub. And I just can't picture that name catching on quite as well. Luckily, what would have been a huge naming mistake was saved by a smaller mistake. The name changed after a misspelling of the mathematical number Google with an OL, a number picked to represent the large results the engine would deliver. I've talked a lot about World War II on this show, but it's hard not to when there are simply so many stories that crop up from those few years when the world fought to such devastation. Look a little closer, and you might be amazed at how many times something either could have been avoided or how close the world came to complete devastation. To start with, the entirety of World War II nearly didn't happen. That is, Hitler's Germany only came into existence because one man showed the ultimate kindness. During another dark time in Europe, Private Henry Tandy found himself in France near the end of the Great War. During the last few moments of the battle to capture Marcoing, he discovered a retreating German lance corporal. He later explained that he simply couldn't shoot an injured man and let him escape. Neville Chamberlain would go on years later in 1938 to attempt a last-ditch meeting with Hitler to avoid another war. There, Hitler showed Chamberlain a portrait of a British soldier carrying a German to safety, saying, that's the man that saved my life. A portrait that was painted off a picture from a London newspaper portraying Tandy and an unverified German man. Tandy's kindness should be commended, sparing an enemy's life during what must have felt like hell had literally descended upon the earth. But Hitler took his experiences at the front and used them to build his National Socialist Party. During the war he started, two incredible victories occurred due to small mistakes on the part of the Axis powers. One happened in Europe, the other on the Japanese front. Erwin Rommel, also known as the Desert Fox, stationed himself on the coast of France and tasked by Hitler to defend it. He must have been quite confident in his defenses, waiting for weeks with nothing from the Allies to speak of. A weather report arrived around the time of his wife's birthday, and upon seeing that the report declared conditions unfavorable for any sort of attack, he flew back to Germany to celebrate with her. That was June 5th. 1944. The very next day, with decent weather and without arguably the Axis power's best tactician, the Allies invaded Normandy. Rommel, for his part, recognized his mistake of leaving the front lines. He reportedly muttered the words, how stupid of me, before rushing off to rejoin the German forces in Normandy. But as history will show, he arrived too late. The allied forces planned the invasion too well having conquered the beachheads while the germans fell back could the invasion still have succeeded had rommel merely sent a happy birthday telegram perhaps but it would have likely been a much harder fight On the other side of the world, and a few months later, the Battle of Lady Gulf raged. Historians classify it as the largest naval battle of World War II, and possibly of all time. 200,000 naval personnel fought for this eastern region of the Philippines. The Japanese sent aircraft carriers to lure away Admiral William F. Halsey and his powerful 3rd Fleet. Unfortunately, Admiral Halsey took the bait, sailing out to destroy the carriers. This left the base at Lady Gulf largely unprotected from the north. Ripe pickings for the huge contingent of 23 Japanese battleships and destroyers. Rear Admiral Clifton Sprague thought fast for a counterattack. Using the only ships at his disposal, a largely unprotected collection of seven destroyers and destroyer escorts, he ordered them into a suicidal rush. The group known as Taffy Three bravely attacked, with planes from the escort carriers strafing over the Japanese ships dropping bombs. So desperate, so incessant was this plan that Admiral Kurita assumed the Americans had another layer of defense planned, thus making Lady Gulf far less ripe a target than he thought. He pulled out of the gulf before his record-breaking 18-inch cannon was in range of the base. Had he continued on for only an hour, an overwhelming victory would have been his. Mistakes happen within every era sometimes with heartbreaking or catastrophic results. But oftentimes, they merely provide an entertaining anecdote. I'd like to share one of those stories after a quick break. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aidan Main, with music by John Bjork. I may not be an historian, but I still take it upon myself to relay these stories as nice and accurately as possible. I'm only human, so every now and then I'm going to make a mistake. If I don't catch it and own up to it, but you do, I invite you to let me know. Help me to be accountable, so that history can be told fairly and properly. Corrections and also episode topic ideas can be sent to stories at hauntinghistoria.com or through the contact form on the podcast page of my website, hauntinghistoria.com. Picture this. The year is 1631. You own the exclusive license to print the Bible. Life is pretty good. Until, word gets out, that there has been a mistake in your printing. One word has been left out of a very crucial verse. You've been summoned before the Star Chamber at the Royal Palace of Westminster because your printing has enraged King Charles I and George Abbott, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Privy counselors and common law judges present the evidence and charge you 300 pounds, equivalent 50,322 pounds, or 66,137 US dollars, and the loss of your precious license to print. At this point, you might be wondering, what exactly it was that was left out that caused all this ruckus? One word, NOT. Left out of a single verse, Exodus 2014. Instead of telling the masses thou shalt not commit adultery. You printed, thou shalt commit adultery. Such is the true story of what would eventually be called the Wicked Bible, a reprinting of the King James Bible, with that ever so crucial not left out. Interestingly, there is a theory that printers Robert Barker and Martin Lucas were not to blame, that a rival printer sabotaged them in order to get their exclusive license revoked. Because there is another mistake in the wicked Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 24, rather than, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, it read, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his great ass. If you enjoyed this episode of Haunting Historia, I invite you to subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Give the show a like and share it on social media, so that everyone can enjoy these weekly tales from the past. New episodes premiere on Fridays. And remember, you make mistakes, mistakes do not make you. Maxwell Maltz